Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Jennifer Quills Pratt. I'm a member of the BBA Solo and Small Form Steering Committee, and I'm here to moderate and introduce the seminar, Stay Ahead of the Game, Essential Online Marketing Tactics for Law Firms. I myself have a small law firm um, specializing in divorce and family law with um, clients of high net worth and sophisticated asset division. And here with me today is uh, Sean Lehman, my marketing advisor, who I'd like to introduce. Um, he manages my website and is my marketing manager. Sean has a digital marketing agency solely focusing on lawyers, and I will let him take it from here. Thank you, Jennifer, and thank you all for having me. It's an honor to be with you, um, and I hope you find it enjoyable. Uh, as Jennifer said, my name is Sean Lehman. Um, I am actually based in Dallas, but I will tell you my roots to the Boston area very shortly. And we actually work with percentage-wise uh, the highest number of clients in uh, in your area um, in terms of our firm. But I will jump in. The presentation today is about uh, online marketing for law firms. I have uh, four basic sections I'll get into with you. Um, and just to start it off, I'll give you a brief intro, and then we will get into the various topics. Um, so a little bit about me. Um, I've been obsessed with the internet since 1995. That's actually me with my younger brother at Christmas. Uh, my dad uh, was his, uh, grew, up, grew up in the computer world. He did a lot of stuff for the military and passed that on to us uh, as kids. So grew up around tons of computers and, and have been obsessed with it ever since. Um, and just a quick history of how I got here today. So I'm a Dartmouth grad. Um, so I spent uh, four years in New Hampshire the first time, six years total uh, in Hanover. And just to get to Hanover has uh, required me to go through Boston uh, 10,000 times in my life. So I spend a lot of time there and of course have a lot of friends uh, in the Boston area. After college, I worked in finance. I worked at JP Morgan and Alliance Bernstein. I'm actually a financial advisor by training. Uh, lived in New York. After New York, uh, a few years there, I moved to Spain to get my MBA. And so I actually got my MBA and that was in 2000. I graduated in 2013 with my MBA from Madrid. And then basically the January after that, uh, I started uh, my firm. And so, so since 2013, basically the end of 2013, uh, been running Lagrande and uh, working for myself started some uh, other businesses as well with my friends, which uh, led to Legrand Marketing. Won't get into the full story now. One thing that is on the screen though, is I have a book. Uh, it's called Law Firm Marketing, How to Get High Quality Clients and Grow Your Practice. If you want a free copy of the book, you can just send me an email, happy to uh, toss a copy in FedEx for you. It'll go through not only some of the things uh, that I'm gonna cover today, but a lot more depth, not just on some web marketing, but the whole marketing landscape when it comes to lawyers. Oh. Uh, here's a picture of my firm. This is my team, Legrand Marketing. Um, we're 100% remote. Um, so, uh, so we're all over the place in terms of where we are geographically, uh, some in the US and then my technical team um, is uh, actually in, uh, some of them are outside the US as well. Um, we're going to be talking about Google reviews, but um, you can, uh, I'm not going to go in depth into all of our reviews now, but feel free to give our Google profile a review. We're going to be talking about Google reviews as something you should be getting as a firm uh, shortly. So 
the presentation itself. There are four uh, essentials to online marketing um, that I want to cover with you today. Uh, the nice thing about these tips is that they're all free. So nothing in here requires you to spend any money. All of our clients are small or solo firms, usually either solo with one partner, sometimes a handful of partners. Um, and so when it comes to marketing, the first thought for us is always, what are the biggest bang for your buck activities that you can do that aren't going to cost an arm and a leg? Because quite frankly, some of our firms are pretty small. Some are getting up there in size. Um, but we want to maximize your return on investment for what you do. And so the four areas, number one, get five-star Google reviews. Two is a monthly email newsletter, a great website, and then leverage social media. And I'll cover uh, all of these areas. If you ever have a question about anything I'm covering, just toss it in the chat. I'll either get to it now or and I also have some time at the end for additional questions. So the first thing is getting five-star Google reviews. By far, I think the most important thing you can do from a marketing perspective for your law firm. And it's very simple. Uh, the more reviews you get, the higher your Google rankings. This is not something that comes from me. This is something that comes from Google. And Google says, if you go to their official guidance, if you were to copy and paste this language, um, but Google review count and review score factor into local search ranking. More reviews and positive rankings and positive ratings can improve your business's local ranking. So the point of that is just to say, the more people who give you a five-star review on Google, the more often you will show up in a search for that. So if you are um, an estate planning attorney and you have one Google review versus if you have 100 Google reviews, um, when someone's looking for an estate planning attorney in your area, the more reviews you have, the more times you're going to be showing up for that search. Now, the other uh, reason Google reviews are very important, and this is a survey from a company called Bright Local. They do a lot of uh, uh, internet industry local surveys um, to give us some data about what people are doing and thinking about online. And they had a survey from a couple of years ago that said that showed that 84% of customers says that a law firm needs at least four stars before hiring that firm. One thing you can do right now while you're on the call, give yourself a quick Google search. See what shows up. Um, does your firm have five stars? Does your firm have one and a half stars? Uh, kind of let give it, give it a quick look. Um, in terms of uh, uh, of the Google reviews. And I'll also show you why that's important here. This is, I didn't want to pick someone in your area. I want to pick someone many states over uh, because I didn't want to unintentionally offend anyone. But if you ever think about reviews from a client's perspective, I, I took a family law firm that we work with and just another family law firm. They're both in the Denver area. I don't, I don't know the firm on the right, but just illustrates the point a little bit. And if you are um, doing a search and you don't necessarily know who your attorney is, or maybe the local accountant uh, made a recommendation for three attorneys and your firm's name was on the list. And so they start Googling the firms that, that were referred to, to that client. Which of these firms do you think they're going to pick? Are they going to pick the firm that has 107 reviews or are they going to pick the firm that has six reviews? And so you know, in a world of, it's always weird for me to say, to get you into this mindset, but we live in a world now where reviews are everywhere. If you ever shop on Amazon or Walmart or 
uh, any platform, reviews are the driving factor. And so it's just part of psychology now. And it's uh, unfortunate oftentimes as, as attorneys where you either don't have reviews or you have that disgruntled client that everyone has who left the negative reviews. So there you are sitting out there with one star or 2.5 stars. It's no fault of your own because you have hundreds of happy people, but you just never asked. And so um, one of the most important things you can do is just get Google reviews. I've also told my clients all the time that um, if you get, if you go from as a solo firm, if you go from zero reviews to 50 reviews, you can fire me. Um, and because you're going to get enough inquiries to, to cover your business. Now, if you're smack in the middle of, of uh, downtown Boston, you may need more reviews, but if you're more in the suburbs, uh, you may actually need fewer. Just it's all also relative to your competition and, and other practice, uh, other practices of a similar type near you. But in terms of uh, one of the most persuasive things that you can do in terms of your marketing, it's just get your reviews. The other thing that's not illustrated in here, but if you were to actually just go and click on the reviews of what people say about you, when you actually do start asking, um, you would be surprised what, uh, what wonderful language just clients share about how you helped them. Doesn't matter if you're in real estate, estate planning, family law, personal injury, uh, any other area. Um, when you leave, when you ask clients to leave reviews, um, it really substantially, you'd be surprised or even gratified as to how people think about you. What does it cost to ask a review? Nothing. Uh, ask for a review. Google, every Google profile, like the one on the screen, if you own your own Google profile, and there's a whole separate discussion about making sure you have ownership of your own Google profile, but there's a link in there that says, share your review link with clients. And you share that link. When a client clicks on it, it'll lead them to a pop-up with the number, uh, with the option to leave a review. It's very simple. It's free. All it takes is for you to ask. So as I said, one thing and one thing only, it's get your Google reviews. But moving on, um, my second favorite area is a monthly email newsletter. And it's very simple in terms of its purpose. Allows you to stay top of mind with your network and allows you to be a thought leader. Your network could be referral sources. Your network could be existing clients um, or past clients. Uh, what, your network could be everyone you've ever met in life. But an email newsletter is an easy way to do it. Now, first thing that every attorney says when I say, I don't, when I talk about an email letter, newsletter, excuse me, the first thing everyone says is, I get enough email as it is. I don't want another message in my inbox. And I say, you are correct. And on top of that, I will tell you the bad part is I know offhand only 50% of the people who receive your email newsletter are going to open it in the best case. It's usually around 20 to 30%. But those 30 to 50% of people who open your newsletter, they get to hear from you. You're in your inbox, you're in their inbox, and you'd be surprised the number of responses, positive responses you're going to get from that newsletter and even new clients from that newsletter. So if you send uh, a newsletter list to a thousand of your contacts, and those contacts could be years old or whatever, and 500 of them get it, 
that's well worth the low to no cost for an email newsletter. And so I'm going to take just show you a couple of examples of newsletters that we've done recently. Uh, this one, now, unfortunately, an email newsletter can be lengthy and they don't always show up well in a PowerPoint format. But Jennifer herself uh, just did an email newsletter. Now, she did something that was uh, very interesting is so she and another attorney named Michael Flores, uh, both family law attorneys, both deal in high end uh, family law issues collaborated on a newsletter that went to both of their separate networks. And as you can see by the title, it was called, uh, it was about stock options and executive compensation. And what's great about that newsletter is whenever you send something like that out, all of the accountants, all of the financial professionals who see that newsletter are like, oh my gosh, I know who to call whenever uh, this issue comes up. And I know uh, from from speaking with Michael, uh, he got some referrals, you know, within a week or two of sending that newsletter exactly with with clients who had those types of issues that he he wanted to send. Um, and so the only thing that was required was writing the newsletter, making it look pretty, and then sending it out. Um, so you can send newsletters that are content heavy, um, but sometimes there's other reasons to send newsletters, and I call it something changed. Uh, so this is actually a Florida-based client of ours. She does uh, personal injury or uh, more specifically, she does you know, property damage law um, whenever there's a hurricane or, or flood or something of that effect. But whenever there's news, so uh, I call this a news-based newsletter. And that in this case, uh, Hurricane Ian from last year uh, destroyed the Fort Myers area. Um, she was offering her services in a polite way. Um, you know, for anyone who had damage to their house. But how this might apply to, apply to you uh, in, in your area is whenever there's a legal change, uh, whether a law's going to change or being a proposed change is coming, you have an option to send that out to your client network. Um, reason I love newsletters is, is, aside from easy way to stay top of mind, there's low to no cost if you do it yourself. Um, the newsletter platforms, many of them have a free or an under $50 a month plan that will be sufficient for, for most people. Um, you know, it does take some time to put together, um, but once you have a nice framework, it's easy to do. Um, but if you do this monthly um, or, you know, around once a month or once a quarter, we recommend monthly if you have the capacity to do it. But once a quarter works as well because it takes some effort to put together. Um, it's an easy way to share your thoughts on specific topics, um, just to stay in the inbox or every time I send a newsletter out hundred percent of the time, I do it once every month, month and a half myself. Uh, every time I send out a newsletter, I get someone who says, Oh, I've been meaning to reach out to you. Um, uh, uh, here, I just want to reply and set up a meeting with you. Um, someone asks, how long should a newsletter be? Should it be weekly, bi-weekly, monthly? We recommend monthly. Um, a handful of people do it more, you know, twice a month. And the reason for that is if you have a different style of content. So um, newsletter length can vary. So my newsletters myself are very, very short. It is two sentences and a video. And that's it. Because um, I prefer video. It's just easier than trying to write for me. Um, but as lawyers, oftentimes you don't want to do a video. It just depends on your personality and you prefer writing. Um, there's our, our default 
version in terms of what's the structure of a newsletter look like, we usually do four sections. This one has uh, three of the four that's on the screen, or actually I'll, I'll, I'll look at Jennifer's again, just to show you. Uh, these sections are intentional. So there's always an introduction. Then there's uh, what I call the meat, the main content here. So this one, this is actually probably, I don't know, 500 words worth uh, of text. Um, it's cut off because didn't need to show you the whole thing. And then always at the end, there's a fourth set or third section, excuse me, I should say, which is what I call the, um, uh, uh, the announcement section. So newsletters don't have to be all serious. Um, so if, now they can be. So if you gave a speech somewhere or gave a presentation, that would be, you put that in the newsletter or on a, on a more personal note, you know, uh, had a client attend a charity event last week. So we had pictures of them, you know, serving food at the food bank or wherever they were. Um, or if someone had a baby in the firm um, or whatever was going on in a personal note, you can include that as part of your uh, newsletter. And so, um, you know, it, it just depends on you uh, and, and what your style is. There's no right answer in terms of the format. Sometimes we exclude the introduction um, and just jump into it. Um, but it's it's kind of up to you in terms of, of uh, what you like, but there are options. And ultimately just everyone has a different style. So the next section after newsletters is your website. Um, I'm cutting all these sections uh, uh, abbreviating all of these sections, I've, I one is I get to do this all day, and, and as you can tell, I enjoy it. But two is I've given uh, two hour long presentations on any one of these individual topics. Um, so there's a lot more that we could say about all of them, but want to just give you some nuggets uh, that you can take with you and cover a few different things. Um, website is more important than ever, and uh, I love visuals. Also one of my favorite movies, don't hate my movie taste, um, but Gone in 60 Seconds not only has a great title, but is also good when it comes to thinking about your website. Um, we, I, I look at website statistics every other week, every month, and, and we have you know, 100 plus websites that we, we manage. And one of the most interesting things that you should know about your website is most website visitors stay on your website on average about 60 seconds. That's it. One minute and they've either called you or gone somewhere else. They've opened up TikTok or gone to another firm. Um, and in addition to that one minute, it gets even worse because they're usually looking at about two pages on your website. So it's usually your homepage is one of those pages or maybe your about you page, about who the actual attorney is that they're going to be hiring, and then maybe just one other page. And so on average, when people are um, looking at a, uh, at a website, at your website, you don't have a lot of time to persuade them. And, and it's just something to always keep in mind because we want our website, your website, to be as user-friendly as possible. And um, oops, skip the slide. Um, the other thing you should know is something called, this is a term from Google. I don't like using fancy terminology, but this is a term from Google and it's called mobile first indexing. And there's a picture of a bunch of phones. Now there's a reason for that. 
Google, a few years ago, made a change to the way that they rank your website. And they said, they're going to use the mobile version of your website to decide how high they're going to rank it in the search engines. So some attorneys, I mean, almost every attorney works on their desktop computer all day long, and you're used to seeing your website on a desktop, but not everyone uses a desktop computer. And in fact, more than half of your website visitors are usually on a phone. And in fact, Google is going to be looking at your website from a phone perspective. And so if you've never looked at your website from a phone, I actually spent a whole hour with a group of about 50 attorneys. We were in person uh, doing, doing a version of this presentation and none of them had their computers, weren't allowed to use their computers. All we did was looked at their websites from their phone. And if you start to dive in deep to how your phone looks just or how your website looks on your phone, you'd be shocked in terms of the number of things that probably need improvement on your website. But taking one step back, what is the purpose of a website? And I, I group it into three things. We could, I'm gonna keep them relatively short for today. Um, but your website should um, help prospects find you, which is what's called search engine optimization. Not going to get into the depths of that today. Convert prospects into clients, which means after they see your website, they should be compelled to call you. And then the last thing is streamline client interactions. One of the questions was how often should you update your website? Um, I'm gonna take that in two directions very briefly. One is um, your website should look modern, not look dated. Now looking modern, uh, I, I like to use the analogy of, of houses. You can have a house that looks great and looks stylish, but it's not a modern house. You can have a traditional house that looks great. You can have a coastal looking house or a Spanish style home. Um, or, or a California, whatever home, you can have homes that look good. Everyone has their own style for what that may look like. But you can also always tell if uh, a modern house was built in the 80s and it has 80s touches. Um, same with your website. It can have plenty of different styles so long as it still overall looks up to date. The other thing when it comes to updating your website is how often do you need new content? And that just depends. Um, that's a much more complex question, but it shouldn't be obvious that you haven't touched your website in five years. I'd put it like that. Um, next. Oh, someone asked another interesting question is, is do lawyers have e-commerce on their website? I would say only the most advanced that I know because e-commerce is a very, um, very complicated setup. And we do work with a handful of, I mean, uh, less than five, because uh, that's very complex and advanced, but they do with e-commerce. Um, it happens, it has to be a very intentional strategy as to how you use it. It's not something that uh, you can just toss on for the sake of tossing on. Oftentimes, I would say we have more often removed e-commerce functions from websites rather than adding them. Um, and, and when it comes to marketing in general, especially as a solo or a smaller firm, 90% of the effort is just getting the basics right. If you get the basics right, you will be 95% ahead of almost any other attorney. Um, now, one of the other areas of the website that's important is, or one of the most important things on the website is uh, content. 
And one of the biggest things I see as a mistake is lawyers don't write content for these people. You write content for these people. And what I mean by that is most of you, your primary client is not other attorneys. It's the average person. Now, sometimes it's the average person who's very wealthy. Sometimes it's the average person who's a middle-class person or, or, or with lesser means. It doesn't really matter. But you do need to write to the person. And uh, you shouldn't necessarily write or don't think that all the content on your website needs to be a great legal brief. It needs to be something that someone can end up on your website, digest, understand what they do, understand why you do it, why you're different, and then decide to call you. It doesn't need to be the same way you would do most of your daily legal work. Um, the, this is an exercise for you. I would just suggest that you take a screenshot of it and do this later. Um, but uh, I'm gonna explain what this exercise is. 100% of the time, whenever a new client gives a, a, comes in, it might even be someone that I know um, or, or have known for years. Uh, and they'll say, you know, I'm thinking about changing up my marketing. One of my first questions is always, what do you do? What are your most important practice areas? What are your least important practice areas? And the reason I ask such a basic question, even if I know you're an estate planning lawyer, sometimes the first thing on your website might be real estate or personal injury, or um, maybe you specialize in special needs planning but the first thing on your website is all about wills and wills might be 5% of what you actually do. What you should do for your website is, you know, take a quick snapshot of, of this slide or write down these questions and later spend a few minutes looking at your site. Are your practice areas in order of importance on your website? Is it, you know, if, if you are a, a family lawyer and you specialize in high conflict custody, do you put high conflict custody as the first thing you do? Or do you lead with something about spousal support or, uh, or, or whatever? The second thing to do is, is your text accurate? Practices change. Things change over time. Um, and so just make sure that what's on your website is still relevant to today. Um, the third thing is, if you are in their client's shoes, would the text be compelling? Remember the slide about the people at the bar. Have someone who knows nothing about law, who's also an honest person, give you feedback on a couple of your pages. Ask them for their just raw opinion. Tell them to spend two minutes, read a page and tell them what you think. And then make a list of areas of improvement. It's very easy to improve your practice area. Text doesn't have a cost, but it's very important for people visiting your site and also for search engines. About you, uh, I love this slide. Um, and the next slide as well is going to be useful, but who are you? Uh, one of the things with attorneys, which is not your fault, you're trained to write bios that say, I went to this school, I clerked with this judge, then I started at this firm that had four names and has been around for 80 years, then I launched my solo practice, and then that's it. And then you have a list of your credentials um, and cases you worked on, 
And it's kind of, it's, it's, it's very stock. It's all the same. The problem is that's not necessarily what people are looking for. Now, I'm not saying remove that stuff because if you're ever getting a referral from another lawyer or someone else who can interpret what, what your credentials mean, that stuff is very important. Um, and, and having your credentials there are very helpful, particularly if you have certain specialties uh, that you work on or certain niche topics, or if you have a case that's been cited or whatever the case may be. That said, you should make the rest of your bio more human. I don't know where a single one of my clients went to school. I actually don't know where a single one of my employees went to school. I want to know, are they a good person? Can they do the job? Um, and with attorneys, there are some things that you should consider incorporating um, in your bio. And uh, Kent, you asked a good question. I'll get back to you on that one. Um, some things you can include. What do clients say about you? Back to reviews. Um, a lot of bios that we'll do, we take one of the best reviews or a couple of the best reviews for that attorney, put it right at the smack top of the bio about how they help them through a situation, blah, 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 blah. Um, can you solve their issue? Also helpful to say exactly what you do, particularly if you have multiple attorneys in your firm. Um, not everyone knows. Now, if someone's referred to you, they're going to call the person they've referred to. However, if different attorneys in your firm do different practice areas, make sure that you put that up there in your, in your bio. Um, are you going to advocate for them? One of the common search terms, and I'm not going to get too deep into search terms, but um, particularly if you're in any kind of litigation field, is, uh, is, my is my attorney fighting for me? Or why won't my attorney fight for me? If, particularly if you're in litigation, but it doesn't really matter what your practice area is, your uh, clients want to feel as if you are uh, representing them, doing, staying on top of things. Um, why do you practice the type of law that you do? One of my favorite questions uh, to ask any attorney, and that's because oftentimes you um, have really interesting or compelling stories as to why you do the type of law that you practice. So I've had cases where an estate planner talks about what happened with their mother or their father or a family lawyer who grew up in a broken home and never wants to have that replicated uh, for other families that they help or whatever the case may be. But if you have a reason for, for why you're practicing what you do, I think that's something that you should incorporate into your bio. Um, how do you approach cases differently? A lot of times you say this in your consultation meetings all the time as, as to why you're different. Um, but you can consider incorporating, you don't have to answer all of these questions, but incorporating some of these questions into your bio. Now, Kent uh, asked a question about website content. He represents um, companies, not individuals. The only thing that changes is that maybe you're a little bit more formal in your tone. That said, Good content is good content. And what I mean by that is you don't need to be boring, even if you represent uh, companies. Companies are made up of a bunch of individuals. And so uh, although you might take a little bit more formal tone, uh, doesn't mean it should be boring. Now, you can still include technical content. I'm not saying you, don't ha you have to exclude that, 
but it doesn't need to be all that you write. You can write, we work with several corporate uh, or client, you know, uh, corporate lawyers uh, do trend and transactional work, M&A work, uh, some litigators on the commercial side. Um, and their text still has depth to it, but it's not written in a such a way that only a technician can understand it. Um, this last little slide on the website is just some food for thought. Um, ADA compliance is something that there pre-pandemic, it was a huge deal. It's still important. Um, but pre-pandemic, there were a lot of uh, lawyers who went and sued website owners uh, for lack of, of ADA compliance. Um, and sometimes it was law firms. Uh, the, I would just write down these two terms. At, it's, the first word is accessible. It has a weird name. It is what it is. The other one's called Equal Web. But if you're worried about ADA compliance, uh, there are some tools available that are out there to help you. We set it up on some client sites. You know, there's no, uh, my caveat with ADA compliance, uh, it's important. Uh, you know, I grew up in a family with, with disabled people, so it's important to me. But also at the same time, um, there's no quote unquote, like perfect solution. Um, and so even if you do everything right, you know, you can still have some flaws, but uh, some people, you know, opt for different ADA plugins. So just want to bring that up for those who are uh, thinking about it. The last section um, we're going to breeze through because it, it really just depends on every firm. It depends on uh, personal preferences and it depends on your client type. Um, but it's leverage social media. Uh, this attorney is, he is in Danvers. Um, he is crushing it on LinkedIn. Um, and he is a real estate and estate planning attorney. Um, and what he does is basically we, we have scheduled for him once a week, something to share. Uh, sometimes it's just something that he did. In this case, he went to a uh, chamber of commerce and, and gave a speech or gave a presentation, I should say. Um, and just shared it on LinkedIn. You can see 53 other people and myself uh, like clicked a like on it. But on top of that, um, many hundreds of more people actually saw it. They didn't press the like button, but they saw it. And sometimes we share a short blurb about, you know, a, a real name. When I say short blurb, I mean uh, 100 words or 50 words sometimes or 200 words. Uh, on on a topic social media wise, or, or sorry, related to his practice, either estate planning or real estate. We have a calendar of topics. Sometimes we do something longer, like a full form blog post. Um, but if you were to pick a platform, LinkedIn is the most common one as a lawyer you would use. The reason it's a professional platform, uh, it gets good engagement. Despite its popularity, it is still way underutilized by almost all professions outside of recruiters. Um, LinkedIn, it doesn't take a lot to get a good return from LinkedIn. And so uh, all you have to do is post as you see fit. You know, we have some clients who post once a month, some clients who post more frequently than that. Uh, and some who don't post at all. I mean, I personally only use LinkedIn, at least for personal purposes, a couple times a week. Um, but in terms of staying top of mind, it's a great way to do so. 
Um, I'm going to go to a couple other platforms. Facebook. Facebook is an interesting platform. It, it ebbs and flows, and all social media platforms ebb and flow in terms of popularity. Uh, Facebook is a great um, platform if uh, there, there's two, two contingents or two ways to use Facebook effectively and the caveat for Facebook. If you deal with older people, people over 50, everyone's on Facebook. Um, it's the oldest skewing of any social media platform. Second is if you just deal with absolutely everyone in the country. This person is a personal injury lawyer based out of Boston, or I should say, I should be more specific. They only do maritime law um, in, in Boston and, and the surrounding areas, but they're based in Boston. Um, and whenever they have a post or a particular campaign or for a particular time of year, Facebook is an easy way to reach uh, basically the whole population uh, in a platform. Now, the catch with Facebook, just so you know, is that um, in order to have success for most of Facebook, you have to include an advertising budget. Whereas on LinkedIn, if you make a post, you'll get a lot of people seeing that post. On Facebook, you basically have to say, hey, I'm going to boost that post or use some ads to get greater view on that post. But on the nice side of things is you can target exactly who you want to target. Um, TikTok. Why am I talking about TikTok? Um, this is a client that we work with. We do not manage her TikTok, so I want to be clear about that. This was actually her son who uh, did all the videos for her, um, but she's down in Florida. Uh, she's a divorce lawyer. She's done hundreds of videos. She's got millions of likes and uh, millions of views, and her, her practice uh, has, has grown substantially, interestingly enough, uh, from TikTok. Um, TikTok is an interesting platform as well. Also depends on what you do. Um, obviously for some of you, you're going to be like TikTok. There's no way I'm going to get any success with TikTok. And I a hundred percent agree with you. Um, so I'm not trying to push TikTok on anyone. Um, but if you are a type of attorney that, uh, deals with the general public and deals with them in large numbers. So what I mean, or, or at least wants to cast a wide net. And so that would be, you know, personal injury lawyers, divorce lawyers uh, that don't necessarily do high-end things, but divorce lawyers who uh, kind of serve the whole population. Um, TikTok is a great platform in the sense that one post, you know, if you know, I have, I have a personal injury lawyer, one post that quote unquote goes viral um, can get you a year's worth of leads. And so that's really the value in something like uh, uh, TikTok. Now, TikTok isn't the only platform these days because you know there's lots of discussion about being banned and whatnot. Um, I call it the vertical video platforms. So um, TikTok, Instagram has a product called Instagram Reels, and then YouTube has a product called YouTube Shorts. Um, they're all vertical videos, meaning if you were to think about how you hold your phone the videos are shot vertically. Um, and all three of those platforms, and Facebook has a Reels product too, but we're not gonna really talk about that now. Um, but all of those platforms have a high chance of, uh, uh, or a higher chance of virality with the right posts. Now, it's not easy to get a viral post. You'll see a bunch of gurus who claim uh, it is, but um, it's just not. So 
it, it does take a lot of work, a lot of editing. It's, it's not just a, you toss up one post and you're going to knock it out of the park, but you'd also be surprised how many random posts get uh, a lot of attention. So one of the questions, so there are a few social media questions. Um, I'll, I'll answer the website question first. Someone, someone asked, um, what do you recommend for the website? I did forget to mention something important. Um, I would use WordPress for your website if you can. If you're already on something else, you can stay with it. But WordPress powers like 40% of all websites in the world. Uh, it's not expensive. It's easy to maintain. Uh, you could walk out your door and find 10 WordPress developers should something go wrong. Um, so we recommend WordPress. It's not the only thing you can use, but it, because it's the most used platform, we recommend it as well. Now, the social media questions. Um, Twitter, Facebook, uh, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, TikTok, YouTube. Question number one is, uh, this is actually in my book, and it's my, one of my favorite marketing expressions. Uh, you may have heard this in other contexts. But it's fish where the fish are. If your clients or your referral sources use a platform a lot, then you should use that platform. If you deal in corporate law, as someone asked previously, and none of your clients, none of your corporations are big on TikTok, I probably wouldn't spend a lot of time on TikTok. But for you, LinkedIn would be an awesome platform. And for almost all of you, there's really no downside to LinkedIn. Um, in terms of getting more referrals and reaching your, your professional network, at least. If you are someone who deals with older clients, it, it's 100%, uh, you know, it's, it's almost 100% where your clients are. If you deal with older clients, I would skew towards Facebook and to some extent Instagram, but they're kind of the same platform in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I don't even care about online marketing, to be, to be honest. I, I consider myself a general marketer, but if all of your clients live in one neighborhood, I would go find the neighborhood magazine. And that's what I would advertise in. It's, it's really just where are your clients or where are your referral sources? And that's where you should focus in terms of platforms. There's no right or wrong answer. The only thing I will say is that um, if you do get deep into social media, and this is a, a advanced topic for those of you who love it, definitely understand that each platform is its own world. So if you do a video on YouTube and you think you're going to get a million views, you're not. You have to understand that there are people who full-time for the last 20 years, or I'll say last 10 years, um, spend eight or 10 hours a day, every day making YouTube videos. And those are the ones that you see uh, getting good success on YouTube. It, it's harder than it seems oftentimes even though people from the outside make it look easy. And the point of that is just to say, I would pick, I'd be very selective about where you um, post things. So in my professional world, the only thing I use is, or is uh, LinkedIn. In my personal life, the only thing I use is Instagram. That's it. Just because those are the only two things I have time for and can do, uh, and will give me the highest bang for your buck. Um, but it really just depends on, um, on where your clients are and also what you like. You know, I had a call this morning with one of my clients. He loves Twitter and he gets good results from Twitter, or I'd say decent results from Twitter, but he loves Twitter. And so um, that's where he wants to spend his time and growing his followers. So there's that element as well of just where your interest lies. Um, 
but I would kind of where your interest lies and where your clients are. The last thing I'll say about that, because there isn't really a right answer, there just isn't, um, is, you know, if you ever talk to a personal trainer and you ask them, what's the best, ex- best exercise to do to lose weight? The answer is the one that you'll do. Um, so if you will do it, 100% better than doing nothing. Um, Sarah asked a good question. Not uh, This was direct, related to my website question. Oh, you know what? Hold on, I'm gonna wrap up and then we'll take some more questions. Um, so two things for me. Here's my email address. It's down at the bottom. Um, I appreciate you listening and I'll keep answering questions. So thank you for being so engaged. I really appreciate it. Keep firing them away. Uh, I'll answer as many questions as we have time for. Um, and the other thing is, uh, I'm also obsessive about getting Google reviews. As I said, it's important. If you type in reviewshawn.com, uh, there should it should link to my Google profile if all is working well. Um, so if you leave me a review, that would be greatly appreciated. Five stars particularly, um, but, but appreciate you taking the 30 seconds uh, to leave the review. Um, so Sarah asked a question about Squarespace. I love Squarespace. Um, I've used Squarespace longer than any other platform, probably since Squarespace existed. I mean, it's been over 10 years uh, using Squarespace. The only downside to Squarespace is um, it's, it's very rigid in terms of what you can and can't do. Looks really good, easy to maintain. If you don't need to make a lot of changes or do anything fancy with your website, great platform. I have a few clients uh, that, that use it. Um, but if you're really getting more advanced in your marketing or you're going to be spending a lot of uh, time, energy, money on your marketing, the limitations start to add up. So it really, really just depends. Uh, Christine asked a great question about best review sites to focus on. Um, I actually, on my website, if you were to go to the Legrand Marketing website and type in the word AVO, I have some very strong thoughts on AVO. Um, I'm not a big fan. Um, uh, of AVO, and there's a video that explains why I'm not a big fan on on AVO. Um, and uh, of AVO, I'll let you watch the video. Probably the best way to to summarize my thoughts without speaking out of turn. I'm just not a fan anymore. The short answer is is for us. I can tell you uh, of all of our clients everywhere in the country, none of them still use AVO. Um, we've canceled the last one stopped using AVO about six months ago at least their paid products. Um, the, the super, super condensed answer is they charge a lot more um, and you get less results and it's just not worth it for us for, for, for a return on investment purpose. Um, Yelp. I also won't answer this question directly, but I will say there's a documentary on Yelp called Billion Dollar Bully. Watch the first 45 minutes of it. It's like a two hour documentary and the second hour and a half or hour and 15 is very repetitive. But if you type in billion dollar bully on Yelp, um, it's pretty accurate about the Yelp platform. Also not a huge fan. Now that said, I will say this. Um, Whenever it comes to a platform, could be a social media platform or website platform, or um, I'm sure every day or every week you get a cold email about should you advertise on radio or in this local magazine or on this billboard or whatever the case may be, right? You're gonna you're gonna get you as an attorney, you probably get inundated with sometimes unsolicited or oftentimes unsolicited messages about um, 
some sort of advertising opportunity or new profile to join. I don't wanna sound closed off in terms of my recommendations. Oftentimes, the answer is maybe try it out and see if it works for you because sometimes platforms work in different ways for different people. So I do have a client who does uh, business law. I wouldn't call it corporate law, but they do business law. Let's call it small business law who gets a third of their inquiries from Yelp. Um, and so it can work. That said, they're, they're uh, the only one who, who gets any inquiries from Yelp in this particular instance. Um, so sometimes though, it's, it's a question of trying it. The only reason I'm always hes hesitant when talking to a smaller firm, uh, like most of you all about trying it, is that it's usually not the first place I would spend money. That's really the, the question about trying a lot of different platforms. Google works, it's there for a reason, it's 90% of searches. There's a reason it's successful and popular and a great client generator. Uh, you know, LinkedIn is there. I, I tried to focus at least this presentation on the highest bang for your buck activities. And so you can definitely try other things, but most of you don't have unlimited budgets to test out a bunch of things that aren't gonna work. Um, and so, or, or may not work, I should say. And so just like to focus on um, the, the big ones. Uh, Kent, you asked about uh, video content. Um, if you can do video, that would probably be the only thing I would do content-wise these days. Not the only, but that would be 80% of what I do. Um, video used to be very difficult. And when I say very difficult, I mean like two and a half years ago, doing video was very difficult. Uh, now it is not. And, uh, and also the expectations for what a video looks, looks like is, uh, is, has lowered, meaning it's easy to do more casual videos today. And so um, you can do, in theory, uh, a video with, uh, you know, your phone. I actually have some clients who've done this. They take their phone, they're on their morning walk, and they record a 60-second video about their thoughts on a particular topic or something that happened yesterday or whatever, and we share it. And you'd be surprised the response on some of those videos. Now, there's also the, so I would say, short-form videos that are under a minute um, are easy to do. How I record videos is actually exactly the way that I am right now is instead of being on a webinar, I would fire up my Zoom, the exact microphone and camera you're looking at right now, um, and I press record. And then I, you know, I plan out my video in advance. I think about what I'm going to say, but uh, I press record. I have my editor put a little nice looking nameplate under my video and then just a little end screen that says, contact us, we're Legrand Marketing um, at the end. Uh, but it's, it's exactly the way that you use Zoom every day or the same background that Jennifer has on, on her screen, uh, or you can use an actual office background is what most people do. Uh, I, I travel a lot and I don't always have great backgrounds. So I just keep this generic background going up. But um, if you can do video, I would say in the past year, that has become our biggest uh, increase in expenses is video editing. Um, uh, because we're basically encouraging 
anyone who wants to, to do video. Now, the problem with video, there's, there's a few things to know. One is once you get over a minute in a video, or I just say over two minutes in a video, you need to be very clear about um, what you're going to say and making it engaging. If you ever watch yourself for 60 seconds or watch anyone talk for one full minute without any sort of actions going on in the background, it is very hard to watch because uh, that's just not how we're accustomed to, to doing and so to, to watching things these days. If you ever, uh, I do this because I, I love this stuff and, and think about it all the time. But if you ever, uh, next time you turn on the television, you're just watching cable TV or whatnot uh, or whatever show you're watching, uh, do a little stopwatch, turn on your stopwatch and look how often there's a cut to the next scene. And it's usually within two seconds that, that the scene cuts. And so the point of all of that is just to say, if you're going more than a minute or two minutes, you need to be very intentional about what you're doing. If you're doing a traditional YouTube style video of like 10 minutes or more, um, those we do all the time as well, but we have to do a lot more planning with the client in terms of making it engaging. And also the editing process is much longer, not hard, just longer and make sure it's uh, thoughtfully done. And uh, Christine gave a great suggestion in the, in the chat. Uh, I don't know if everyone can see it, but I can see it in the Q&A. She, she mentioned uh, Canva, C-A-N-V-A, is a great, and she is correct, it's a great do-it-yourself do graphic design tool. So if you're doing your own social media posts or editing a video, um, I don't know if they do newsletters or not, but they definitely do great looking posts and other materials. They make it very easy for you to put a picture or video in and uh, come up with a very professional looking output. Um, any any last questions? I'll throw in a one last question that um, something that I'm always stressed about is um, how do you deal with bad reviews? And I think um, you know we most of us on this have websites and kind of what do we do next with that? Yeah, um, bad reviews are are uh, very frustrating. Um, the most frequently used video that I have recorded is uh, I actually have a step-by-step. -step, if you type in like negative review on my website, I have a video that I have to unfortunately send out uh, once or twice a week to someone about a bad review. Um, the answer on bad reviews is not satisfying, but very simple. And that is you have to just get more good reviews. Um, removing a bad review, absent being able to contact the person directly, and you know, working it out, and hopefully they remove the review, which does happen. Now, sometimes it's not feasible. Um, but absent contacting the person directly, in short, you just have to get more positive reviews. And so if you have 50 reviews and uh, you have you know, 49 five-star reviews and one person who leaves a one-star review uh, and says you were the worst and blah, 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 what do you think people are going to believe? Um, and so, uh, just the, the old sports cliche, uh, a good defense or, or the best defense is a great offense is kind of how you have to treat the, the Google reviews. And, uh, it used to be the case a few years ago, you could remove them, but, or at least ask for Google or the other sites to remove them. But 
every month, every, every year that goes by, it's almost impossible unless someone uses like, uh, you know, racist language. Uh, so, so otherwise it's just keep getting positive reviews every week, every month. Um, and that will bury, uh, you know, negative reviews from showing up. Thank you. So I do not see any more uh, questions in the chat. Um, I think you all have Sean's email address. It's up here and highlighted in yellow. Um, and I think we've essentially come to the end of our time.